Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is our Diocesan Man of the Year, John Ballas. And John is from St. Martin de Porres Parish, where he was selected by them to be their nominee for Man of the Year. And then at the joint St. Joseph Radio and the Diocese of Orange Ceremony for Catholic Man of the Year held a little bit earlier this year, really actually my understanding is in support of last year's group, John was named. So John is with us today. Welcome, John. Thank you. And if you would be so kind as to begin us with a brief word of prayer, I'm sure listening audience would be very happy. I'd be happy to, Rick. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give Give us us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as as we forgive forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. And I say that because, of course, this was done in conjunction with St. Joseph Radio. Exactly. Of which, for all um, our listening audience, and in due disclosure, I have been involved with for a number of years in a number of different capacities. So with that in mind, let's talk for a moment about this. You were originally selected by your parish to be their man of the year. Right. What does that mean? Well, from what I gather from Deacon Dennis on, there was a group of them that that got together and they threw some suggestions in the hat and they narrowed it down to two individuals. And then our pastor father, C. Wynn, uh, made the final decision. So... How they came about that. (laughs) Well, we have some of your biography, and I think it would be good for us to talk a little bit about some of those things. Because after you were nominated, your name was then forwarded to a woman by the name of Sheila Mm Beingessner. And Sheila has been involved with St. Joseph Radio since before I got involved, and I got involved right right after seminary. So I know Sheila very well. And she's the one who then forwards the names to a group of people who then tear them apart. They look at them very closely. There are usually 20, 30, 40 of these names that come in, depending upon the year. And they're from all over the diocese. Most of these are from different parishes. Uh, Some of them are from organizations like Knights of Columbus. Right. And then each of these men is being put forward as the nominee from within that group or that parish, and a a list of reasons why. Mm -hmm. Most of the things that come out of these are not some sort of an earth-shaking, they found the cure for cancer type of event. Most of the men, and, and I've seen all the biographies, and I have hosted this before in years gone by, most of the men have very consistent but humble biographies. They are about uh, living their life and then doing what they can for the church. And it's usually a growing thing. And as I'm reading your biography, I kind of see that pattern seems to have been at work with Mm -hmm. you. I understand that you've been a Catholic for quite some time, but something unfortunate happened more than two decades ago that kind of catapulted you into a, a deeper encounter with your faith. Right. What happened? And quite... Quite some time would be from birth. And then in my hometown in Illinois, we lived two doors away from the nuns. Oh, you were you, the, you were the same block of the church. You, you were toast as far as that's concerned. So when they were looking for on Holy Saturday for 530 a.m. mass, yeah. the blessing of the Paschal candle. Yeah. And like we do it now at eight or 10 o'clock at night. Right. Yeah. Uh, they needed uh, the young altar boy servers. So they just we were next door. So we were. We were it. Yeah, our, our, we are getting so used to the idea of the vigil mass and the way that it's done now. And it's mm-hmm. a beautiful mass that we right. do it now. 
we sometimes forget that it was 5.30 of the morning exactly. for, for people before Vatican. Those were the days. So the, the event that I'm trying not to uh, discuss is um, uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter at 29 years old, was um, attacked and killed in uh, Huntington Beach Wow! Uh, in 1999, Thanksgiving weekend. She, uh, she was a cosmetic rep. Uh, she had a number of stores that she represented for Calvin Klein. And she went to work the day after Thanksgiving on a Friday. And that evening, it was the weekend. And I remember her telling me on, she says, you know, Dad, she says, it's Thanksgiving weekend. But she says, a lot of kids go out on the, on, it's kind of a holiday. So she went out with a girlfriend to a, a local establishment right on the main street of um, Huntington Beach. And um, they were there for a while. The Her girlfriend wanted to go home. She said, well, I'll stay by myself because she had just moved to Huntington Beach about, well, probably two months prior to that. She was going to get her master's at Chapman College. Oh, wow. And she wanted to leave Newport because of she was in, a, in with some girlfriends there and she wanted to be to have her own place so that she yeah. could study more. So she ended up um, going back with a group to play some pool, of all things, at a fella's house. And that was a little, I think, not her thing. So she decided to walk home, which was not a was not the right choice. It was about 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and it was only about eight blocks. Yeah. But there was a an, an young individual, 20-year-old kid, and uh, uh, he was actually working in one of the... Uh, delis or something right there in Huntington Beach. Anyway, he stalked her and uh, grabbed her by the back of the head and, and pulled her to the to the sidewalk. So uh, they found her the next day. She was in the hospital, and she survived two days and then passed away. Wow. I am so sorry for your loss. The way you tell it is if it was yesterday. Yeah. I'm sure in your mind when you tell it, yeah. it is. That was 22 years ago, 21 well, years ago. 21 years coming up. Uh, actually, yeah, 21 okay. coming up this Thanksgiving, around the corner. I, I'm a dad. How old was your daughter? 29. 29. My my oldest is 25, mm-hmm. So, and I've got three. Yeah. And I, I can't feel your pain, right. but I can imagine it. Yeah. And I'm ready to cry myself. Rather than do that, let me ask the question. What did that do to you? And I realize it, it, it turned your guts inside. I'm, I'm talking about what did it motivate you to do? Well, I think that happened. We were in the hospital over the weekend. Kind of, We had an all-night vigil. We slept there two nights in a waiting room. And then when she did uh, succumb on a Monday, uh, we went back home. And my wife and I, we were just numb. We, have, uh, th- we had three daughters. And Bridget was the oldest. Oh, and um, was she conscious at any time after the? Attack? No, no. She they her, part, part she of me's glad for that. And part yeah, of she was in a that. she was in an induced coma. Okay, and you know she had the tubes in her and, and all of that. So we went home on a Monday, and I got up Tuesday morning, and my wife says, "Well, where are you going?" And I says, "I don't know." I says, "I I I guess I'm going to go to mass." So. We only lived a few blocks from the St. Martin's uh, 8 o'clock mass. And my wife looked at me and says, well, don't leave me here alone. (laughs) She got up and put some sweats on and tennis, Uh you know, put a ball cap on and out the door we went. So we went to mass that day and we went the next day and we were just, we were so numb and so lost that we just kept going to morning mass. This is what our church can do with us. And it's, it does not take away the loss, but it can walk with us in the loss. Yeah. And sometimes it's not so much the people. Sometimes it's just Jesus himself mm-hmm. in the whole thing, in the people, the body of Christ, in the Eucharist, the body of Christ, in the body of Christ. Yeah, and we had a, another couple, Gloria and the Machados, and uh, they found out we were going, and by God, they lived in our track. and They, they were with it. They, yeah, they sat in the pew with us every morning. How long did this go on where you started to do daily mass after the death of your daughter? You know, how long did it go on for me? Yeah. 20 and a half, 21 years. <laughs> it's a Justin Martyr Day today. Yeah. <laughs> We're pre-recording this, but yeah. I did not go today. Oh, no. However, we'll <laughs> I'm going tonight at 630. All right. <laughs> but most of the time I go in the morning. But occasionally, yeah. 
if I just don't feel like getting up, I'll I'll do the evening mass. <laughs> so we're blessed at St. Martin's. We have 24-hour adoration. Oh, wow. And we have the morning mass at 8 o'clock and a 6.30 p.m. mass. We used to have the 6.30 in the morning, and uh, there were reasons that they tried to switch it. And we're getting much better turnout now. So it's it's great. Let me ask you this: now, now that the the eyes have kind of cleared a little bit, mm-hmm. were you going to daily mass before your daughter was killed? No, absolutely not. No, so, I was one of these in and out Sunday guys. It's time to go to mass on Sunday. We're going to go. We're going to do our duty, get our six pack of grace, and go. Yeah, and didn't really <laughs> hang around and chat with the community or anything. So when I got into the first ministry, they thought I was a a new person in the parish. And I'd have to smile. I said, well, I've actually been here since uh, 1976. <laughs> but now it's 99, and all of a sudden yeah. they thought I was new. But so. in a way you were, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. This was kind of all new for you. So as we're looking at this horrible, horrible event, we're also looking at a legacy from it that, in a very small sense, but a very profound sense, mm-hmm. catapulted you toward service of Christ. Mm-hmm. So for the next uh, 21 years and counting, you have been a far more actively engaged parishioner of St. Martin. Exactly. Wow. Um, there's not much I really want to do with the next couple of minutes before we go to a break. It's kind of hard to follow a story like that. Well, I'd like to, maybe we can take a break and I'd like to tell you how I got in the first ministry. Well, and that's where I, I think I, I want to go, but I want to stop for a moment because this story that you just heard, the, the listening audience that's, that's hearing, is coming from a, a man who I have heard is a, a fairly quiet man, one who doesn't necessarily just open up on a regular basis to a lot of people. Am I incorrect that people would probably describe you that way? Yeah, I wouldn't generally tell the story in and yet this here, way. here we have the, the great privilege of, of listening, mm-hmm. and I thank you for that. With that in mind, um, this catapulted you, and your daughter's death, horrible, but yet nevertheless transformative. I have a question about the young man. Do you know what happened to him? Yeah, six months later, um, he attacked four girls in a parking lot in Huntington Beach in, in one of those enclosed parking lots. Uh, four girls in a convertible. Well, they fought him off and uh, was able to, one of them uh, was able to find a, a policeman down through an alley. And the policeman came and, and they did track the individual down. And he had some items of my daughter's in his backpack and at his place. They were able to place it. And they placed it. That was six months after she died. And then four years later came the trial. Four years. Four years for the trial. I take it he was found guilty and put away for a while he was found guilty and they didn't ask us this is orange county prosecutor but he did receive the death penalty yeah. but Let's, you know we don't do that here in california anyway no no and i as as catholics we have a lot of uh misgivings about right what do you do with that it's it's a hard one too when we come back we're going to talk a little bit about how this horrible event and this transforming event catapulted John into ministry that has eventually led him to be a Catholic Man of the Year for the Diocese of Orange and for St. Joseph Radio. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is John Ballas. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how this horrible event changed his life and the lives of those around him. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is John Ballas. And John, if if you missed the first segment, you need to go back and replay it. Because John opened up about the death of his daughter. It was a horrible attack. And what that did to him 21 years ago. And we were talking in the break a little bit about a number of different things. I think we'll talk a little bit about that on air, in fact. But... The bottom line is this is perhaps the most profound thing that can happen to a parent is to have their child not only die, but die so horribly. And John, I want to, first of all, again, give my condolences to you even 21 years later, but I want to say thank you Mm -hmm. for being willing to open up about it. 
So I, I asked the question once, I'm going to ask it kind of again, but in the context of what we were saying, what did this do to you? How did this motivate you? Well, in, in the break, we mentioned, I would like to mention, not in the details of the trial, but the fact that initially I didn't want to go to the trial. I didn't see any reason to go. My daughter had passed away, whether she got hit by a bus or somebody attacked and killed her. To me, it didn't make any difference. So the, there was no animus she was at gone. this point. Yeah. And I was blessed, extremely blessed, that I didn't have this motivation to go out and strangle the guy. Or I didn't. I looked at him as a non-entity. I had friends tell me, well, if you don't have it, feel that aggression now, you will. You will. You're a father. That they, The guy killed your daughter. Of course you're going to have that. Well, I think it was a blessing. Of, <laughs> it was the whole trinity, I think. And I did not ever have that urge and uh, of re, uh, revenge. Look, it was it was a, a non-issue to me. Let me make an observation then, if I can. Your friends are right on the one hand. Most fathers would have an animus and yeah. want to absolutely attack the attacker and wish for their death and their and wish for for horror to happen in their lives as well. The fact that you didn't was an act of the love of Christ in yeah. your life and the love of Christ even spilling over into the life of someone who did such horror to you. I I don't know where you are in your walk with God and this man. And I'm not going to ask that question, Mm -hmm. but it sounds like this spilled over so that it at least gave you a sense of peace to to have an, an element of forgiveness that goes beyond a peace that passes understanding is what scripture calls it. It's a form of forgiveness, and I assume that's kind of where you're going. There's forgiveness and there's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. There, There is wanting to hold someone accountable for the consequences of what they did while still, I am so sorry that you did what you did. You shouldn't have done that. And, you know, the Our Father is forgive us our trespasses as you forgive others. Well, it's my understanding that an individual should ask or would want to ask for forgiveness. You, I don't think that I can just forgive someone if they have no remorse. I don't know that that's even possible. And, and I'm taken aback by the fact that you are so open to even that dichotomy, that this man has not asked for forgiveness, but yet you also hold no yeah. animus. And that's... I thought originally when they when they caught him, I thought, my God, he ruined my daughter's life and he ruined his own life. And my wife said, "What is wrong with you?" And I said, "Well, it, it's there's two lives that were gone. Yeah, just horrible." It it is truly remarkable that that people who, and I've heard this from a couple of other people who have lost loved ones in violence, to think about the person who was the perpetrator. And almost out of pity, what they did to their own lives, too. Not that I want them off the hook, mm-hmm. but oh, how sad and for everyone involved. Their family, too, in, in a way. The horror of the whole thing is awful. Yep. So with this in mind, I want to remind our listening audience that we are talking to John Ballas, who's the Catholic Man of the Year. And if I remember the ceremony right, this was barely mentioned. It was the first thing to be mentioned in your bio, but we went on to a whole bunch of other things that yeah. have happened. That we did. And, and I, I want to ask that question, I guess, for a third time. What did this do to you? Because I know that we talked about how it catapulted you to become a daily mass recipient, mm-hmm. that you attend now daily mass and you do it, uh, let's use the term religiously, you do it on a regular basis, yeah. uh, trying not to miss what did this compel you to do? I know you got involved with some self-help bereavement ministry that we did early on. Well, my wife had three different friends that talked about this group in uh, Tustin. They met at the YMCA, and she just kept putting it off. And I mean, self-help. I, I'm not going to go to any group like that. Right. And uh, about seven months into it, she I hear just, my dad talking. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> she said, "She says I, I got to do something." She says. I'm gonna I'm gonna try this group, and uh, what am I gonna do? It's seven months. In, I can't let her go alone, so I go to the group, right? Yeah. So we're there, and this group, the the leader of the group, lost a child. She was a, uh, I think the kid was 11 years old. The father 
was with the child and a cousin uh, up in San Francisco on the rocks. Oh, no. And a wave came in, knocked the two boys into the water. Their son was washed out to sea, and she never never saw him. Gone. Oh, my God. So she started this group. She was in a group, and it wasn't working. So she started it every Tuesday night, and she did that for 32 years, every Tuesday. Oh, wow. If Christmas was on a Tuesday, they'd meet on a Monday. And it was not once a month, not every other month, but weekly. Wow. And we'd sit at a conference table, and she had the ability to just move the conversation. Well, Mary and, Mary and Bill understand that this is an anniversary. How's, how's, how is it this year? And she could just move that conversation around. And somehow the individuals that were hurting the most that night, maybe there were 14 and maybe there were 24. It, the, the group varied. And every meeting was different because of the participants. But somehow we'd end up zeroing in with one that was hurting. She was good at doing. She was tremendous. She was like she, like she was. You know, uh, God gives you that talent, and she was used. Had one of those rods looking for water, right? Yeah, divining rods. That's it. Divining (laughs) rods, and they'd start spilling their story, and a parent would, oh, well, that's not that's happened to me. This is, and it's it was nothing but parents helping parents. So. Nothing changed. Everyone in that room lost a child, and every married couple lost a child. It didn't bring their children back. But somehow deep in the subconscious, it it just knowing that other people are going through something similar, it it doesn't ease the pain, but you're not there alone. You're not out on an island by yourself, and you're not the only one that's ever gone through this. So I can't explain it, but... Be darn it, it helps. I, I, I we go, went for three years every Tuesday night. Wow. I go back to the body of Christ, and here you have one manifestation of it in a way that it sounds like kind of exploded into your world to bring about calm and peace and work and digging and encounter. So the, the, this her name is Nancy, the leader. And as the months went on, she said, John, Tell the new people who are your story. I said, Nancy, I don't want to do it. <laughs> well, the second time we went, she said, well, Paulette, how did you think the meeting went? And then I don't know what my wife said, but I said, she asked me and I says, how did it went? I says, I don't know how you people can sit here for two hours every week. It's like ripping your stomach open and taking your guts and just throwing it on the table yeah. and just going through this over and over that and over. That could be horrible. It was It was horrific. I said, I don't know how you guys do it. I, I don't know what's wrong with you. And the reason she had me tell this story is because months and a couple of years later, I was bringing people to this horrible meeting. <laughs> I was recruiting them, you know. Wow. Yeah, through the funeral ministry, I'd occasionally run into a situation, and I'd always invite them to our group. So you and then Paul, my wife and I would take them to the meeting. So you got involved with the funeral ministry, too. Yeah. So part of the bereavement right. ministry is... Tied into the funeral ministry. That is, that is the. It's all one. It's all one. About four months, I'm in church for from the time we lost our daughter. Four months later, Elvin von Zaber comes up to me and she says, "Would you help us move some flowers? We're gonna a funeral this afternoon." So I, well, I can do that, and I'm just gonna you know help set up a little bit. Sure. And my wife says, "You're doing what?" And at that point, my wife couldn't even look at flowers in the vestibule sure. much more. Yeah. So I helped him out for one or two services. These women ran it for like 11 years. And one day I turned around and they were gone. One went to uh, the Republican National Committee in South Orange County. And Evelyn went to St. Jude's and ran their uh, uh, Eucharist distribution through the whole hospital. They left you it. I was there with another girl who just started with me, Peggy and I. So we were just there. Congratulations. God just tapped you on the shoulder. (laughs) So you're now a couple of years after your daughter has passed on. Mm -hmm. You have been engaging this bereavement ministry, which turned out to be a powerhouse. You have been engaged in helping others face funerals. Let's, Let's stop there for a moment. What did that feel like for you? Were you were your guts still ripped open, or were you in the process of healing at no, that point? No, I, I I think being able to reach out and and sit with a family that have just lost a child, or lost their mother in law, or lost a grandparent, you're just there 
you're there as a representative of the parish. You don't say, I don't say a lot. I just let them talk. They'll come to me a, a year later and tell me about all the wonderful things that I, and the comfort level that I gave them. And I know. You didn't say was, squat. I know. <laughs> through, through months after months, yeah. you know, and they would appreciate it. And my wife, who's a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say sarcastic, but I said, people would come up and say, John, you did such a wonderful job. And my wife would turn to me and says, well, yeah, you're there, of course. You're there at their lowest ebb of their life. Of course they think you're great. <laughs> well, so that was her. And your job at that point is to just be a steady presence. That's all. And, and that's... A representative of the parish. And that is something that a lot of people don't understand about church. It really is about God being present to you through the people that he's empowered. And I think God love our priests. I don't think they have a course for this in the seminary. And They do. It's called pastoral counseling. Yeah. Did, did they pay attention is a good question well, sometimes. Some are better than others. <laughs> when you step up and meet with a family, uh, uh, the priest has no problem letting you run your own ministry. I never got a tap on the shoulder from any of our priests. I wasn't trained, but well, I did sat and visited with them, and uh, they were happy. I know deep down that they were happy that we were dealing with the people. But see, you were trained, and it's just yeah. that they, they know your story. They I know was you. trained the hard way. You were you, you were trained the hard way. We are talking to John Ballas, who is the Catholic Man of the Year for the Diocese of Orange uh, and for St. Joseph Radio. And we have been talking about his story starting with not only his lifelong Catholicism, which is, I think he described, forgive me for summarizing it, it's kind of a standard lukewarm Catholicism growing up until his the, his daughter died 21 years ago. And it was a horrible death. It was a murder. And it catapulted John into a deeper embrace of Jesus Christ in his parish so that he's been going to Mass every day for the last 21 years. Although today we're going to work on trying to get him to Mass right after our broadcast. <laughs> When we come back, John, I want to talk a little bit more about what the ministry has meant more recently in your life. Okay. We are at Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is John Ballas, who is the Catholic Man of the Year for the Diocese of Orange and for St. Joseph Radio. And we have been talking about what had what motivated John 21 years ago to move from being a standard duty Catholic, let's go to Sunday Mass, get your six-pack of grace and go, to someone who now engages the church every day by going to Mass, by engaging in ministry, and engaging in ministry that really taps right into the heartbreaks that have hit him in his life. 21 years ago, John, your daughter was horribly murdered, and your reaction over these years has been, Christ, here I am, what can I do for you? That, that's how it comes across. So you got involved in a grief ministry, right. and it was an incredibly intense grief ministry. You were involved with, as part of that, the funeral ministry and being present to those who were dying. Things that I'm sure you never thought 25 years ago you'd ever be involved with right. or anything oh, like yeah. that. If um, I knew somebody's child passed away and I saw the person, I'd probably walk across the street. Not knowing I what wouldn't to even say. Want, I wouldn't even want to go down the same sidewalk. It, what do you say? Everyone has that same feeling. Yeah. What yeah. Do you, you can't say anything, and I'd rather just avoid the whole uncomfortable situation. Let's wait until it's passed. But I got the answer now. It came, it, it, it came to me over years. You don't say anything. You just, you just be with them. And that really is the ministry of Jesus Christ come to us through the people around us. That's interesting. And it's one person at a time. Christ's Holy Spirit touched you at the very moment that Satan's spirit touched that man who took away your daughter. Mm -hmm. And Christ's spirit encountered the vacuum that was created and filled it in you. And you were you were willing to have that filled. I, I, I don't want to stroke that too much. I just want to say that's my interpretation mm -hmm. of what empowered you. But moving forward, it continued. You still did many other things. What yeah. other ministries did you get involved with? Oh my. I've got a whole laundry list here. Well, I... I think those initial ministries 
were certainly part of the healing process. The bereavement group okay. and the, the, the funeral's involvement for 20 years yeah. uh, certainly was, was, was a healing process. Sure. There's self-help involved there, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to reach out. If you're able to reach out and help someone else when you're when you feel down and out, it lifts your spirits. It's just a good thing. One of the things that stands out in here for me is that you you're involved in a number of different projects like Oktoberfest and but your Oktoberfest was on the cleaning. It sounds like did I get that right? Well, they were looking for a maintenance engineer, and I knew we didn't have any elevators at the church. <laughs> Something about strategic location of, yeah. of, of the trash cans. We uh, are good at trash, <laughs> and we get we bring in about eight laborers, and I get to manage them, tell them what to do, and uh, we do trash, and we we set do all the setup, yeah. and you know the Catholic thing. If you don't know how to pick up uh, folding chairs and, and set them up, <laughs> you're not a you're Catholic. Not a Catholic. No. <laughs> <laughs> they go on that little tray over there or whatever yeah. it is that your parish has, but every parish has it. Yeah. And they've got a little room where it all gets yeah. off to the side. You were also, though, a Eucharistic minister to the sick and homebound and mm-hmm. disabled. And that's a very intentional ministry. Tell me a little bit, how did you get involved with that? Because that's a little bit different. From... Oh, that's a funny story. My wife was actually involved with that, and she was bringing uh, our church. We have an elderly facility on Imperial Avenue. Emeritus has home for the elderly, you know, where they live, and uh, they get their meals and everything. And then they also have a wing for uh, 24-hour nursing care. Okay. So if you're coming out of the hospital and you're not well enough to go home and you broke your shoulder or hip and you're going through a cancer treatments or what have you, that whole wing is there too. So on Wednesdays and Sundays, we do a communion service at the main facility. And then after that, we'd go down to the wing where folks are, are healing and we bring communion to them. And usually there'd be a, a, about a dozen out of a room of 40 or so. We have about a dozen Catholics and we go room to room. Now, are you one of the ones that actually brings the Eucharist? Yes. And oh, yeah. You, you, so you... Does it hit you in, in any way that you're holding the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ when you're administering this yes. to people who... Of course it does. I remember going in and some sweetly, I said, would you like to receive... No, not today. And you go to the next one. Oh, thank you so much. This is so wonderful. Thank you so much to bring Jesus to us. I mean, it's so rewarding. If the people are well enough to chat a little bit, you might chat for two or three minutes or you might be there for 25 minutes, you know. Just depends on how the conversation goes. One more time about the presence of Christ coming yeah. through. Even you're bringing Jesus in the Eucharist, mm-hmm. but you're also bringing an echo of Jesus in yourself as you then get to minister to them and talk to them. And as they receive Christ, they receive also the surroundings of it. They may not be at the church service, but they get to have the fellowship with you. Right. That's wonderful. You also are involved in pro-life activity. I understand you've been involved with some of the protests that are involved with uh, well, we Planned do, Parenthood. Well, we do a, a couple of rosaries at the Planned Parenthood in Tustin. Some people don't think of those as protests. They are. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But it, our church is responsible the first Saturday. It's all broken up per, yeah. per parish. So we have the first Saturday of the month. And uh, after 8 o'clock Mass, we go down there at 9 o'clock, and we... Say a couple of rosaries. What do you do? And there's a group there along the sidewalk. If someone's never seen it and they're afraid to go and they're afraid to participate, what will they do? They'll walk down there? They'll carpool down there? What will they do? Yeah, walk. they'll drive drive there and park in the residential area, walk over in front of Planned Parenthood, and we stand on the sidewalk. So you're all together as a group? Yeah, public sidewalk, just lined up. You know, we could have 30 of them the other a couple of weeks back, I think there was 142 or something wow. from the parish. It grows. You okay. Know? Yeah. So you've got a number of people there. You're not alone. You're no. not. Oh, no. And we got, they got the bullhorn and uh, pick five or six people to, to do each decade. You know, there's five decades. Yeah. And usually the priest is there. Uh, one of the priests are there. And uh, we have three deacons in our parish. And uh, you're blessed. Yeah. yeah. A couple of them usually show up. It's just one hour. We're there at nine and we're back to our cars, you know, probably at. Five to ten or something. And you get but it's, a brunch afterwards. So. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody scatters and goes their own way. But meanwhile, do you see people that, that drive in the driveways while you're there? They do drive in. Some have a little pamphlets that they'll hand out to them. And others, you know, 
this is on uh, Tustin Boulevard, so it's it's right at the uh, the twenty two overpass. So you got four lanes of traffic, and they'll be tooting their horn. They'll toot their horn at us. It's usually meant yeah. to be a, a positive thing. Yeah, and then every once in a while, somebody roll down their window and yell at us like something like we're the bad negative, guys. Yeah. yeah, but uh, you know you get all kinds of reactions. But, you, but it's a show of God's love. The people that are handing out pamphlets and things are they in any way in the face of the people that are going in? Are they harassing? No, no not really. Not really. If they roll down their window, if they, someone wants to speak to them, they do. So, in other words, you're just there as a, as a again, the presence of Christ mm-hmm. at a point of, well, people are being killed yeah. in, inside that abortion mill, and it's a spiritual crime. We used to prosecute these crimes as war crimes during the Nuremberg trials. It's one of the crimes they charged wow. the Germans with, uh, the German doctors, uh, was abortion because it was the whole world considered it to be an evil thing that we've how, my how we've come so far away from that as John Paul pointed out. But all you're doing, which is very simple, and I'm, I'm saying this because I want people who've never done it before to understand it's not much we're asking. But if you're able to spare an hour, mm-hmm. you've done this now how many times? Oh, probably for the last six to eight years. You know, not yeah. every. You miss once in a while, but I try. I try to show up, and there's usually thirty to fifty, maybe well, hundred sometimes. Yeah, sure. People that are there, so you're not going to be alone. No, no. And at it's all. all about praying the rosary. Yep. And praying for the people that are coming in. in. You're out in the sun. You better bring your sun hat. Bring your sun hat, yep. so that way you don't get. Especially if you've got skin like yours and mine. Yep. All right. So you've been involved with a number of different ministries, and you've been involved. It sounds like your wife has been a catalyst on you. You mentioned sometimes she could be almost a gadfly to you. She- oh, I didn't tell you the story. You asked me how I got started with the communion ministry. Yeah. Well, she was doing it, and then I was going occasionally. And then Father John Hiltz, God bless him, he's a was a retired priest from our parish, and he has since passed away many years ago. But Father John was a graduate of Notre Dame, our good Irish priest. I'd go, and then Father John would come once a month. And so I'm there with Father John, and we're... He's kind of yucking it up with me, and my wife is sitting there, and she's thinking, here I am, but Father John's really enjoying the, you know. So, you know, it's Wednesday. I could be out golfing with my girlfriends. So she ta- she goes off golfing on Wednesdays, and I, and I ended up. <laughs> Father John comes once a month, but I'm there every Wednesday. I'm there on the Wednesdays. And he the That's so fantastic. Yeah. And she gets to go golf. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you've also lost your wife, though. Yes, Yes. And that wasn't that long ago. No, she was uh, 72 years old in fantastic health. She, You ask any of her friends, she was the healthiest among them. So she was about 72. This was about yeah. three years ago. Yeah, she was a jock. She uh, played tennis all her life, played tennis twice a week. She'd go to the gym once a week. She had bad knees because of tennis. So she'd walk the pool one day a week. And uh, we were at a kid's soccer game on a Saturday. And uh, we had the kids over, the three grandsons overnight. And uh, she had a little kind of a, a slight stroke on Sunday morning, just out of the blue. So it took us three trips over three weeks to go to St. Jude's Hospital to figure out what's going on. And they really didn't couldn't figure it out. So they admitted her finally on the third third visit. And we were there 39 days. Wow. They thought it might be a fungal infection, but they couldn't pinpoint it. So then they made arrangements to transfer us to UCLA. We ended up being at UCLA for 202 days. Oh, and wow. treated her with this fungal infection, which the slang, it's called toxinemi something, but it's called coxie, but it's, um, uh, to the everyday people, it's uh, valley fever. Valley fever. And usually it comes out of the ground. Sacramento uh, people, the farmers, uh, when they're turning fresh. Sure. Fresh ground over. Right. The I don't know. Fungal, the fungus that's growing underneath it might exactly. Come up. So how and they breathe it in, it gets in their lungs. How a female on a tennis court in your Belinda right. gets a fungal. I I think we all ingest these minute microscopic funguses, but her re, her immune system wasn't able to fight it, and it settled in her chest real quickly, and it usually breaks out in the lungs or in the skin, but very very rarely does it go to the brain. But it went to her brain, and it caused meningitis, and all kinds of brain complications. Different swellings and other issues yes, that go on. Yes, horrendous. John, I am so, so sorry to hear this. I, I'm, I'm looking at 
a man in front of me who 21 years ago lost his daughter horribly. Now has lost his wife and has just recently named man of the year. That wasn't out of pity, though. <laughs> it sounds like you have been involved with huge amounts. When we come back, we've got one more section. I want to ask what the last couple of years have been like for you. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is John Ballas, who is the Catholic Man of the Year for the Diocese of Orange. And when we come back, we're going to ask him what the last couple of years have been like. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is John Ballas. Before I go any further, I want to stop for a moment, and I want to remember to thank you very much in case we get rushed at the end here, because we've been talking and telling stories, and you've been telling stories. I don't want to go without saying profoundly thank you, not just for sharing your time with us today, but for being willing to open up. I I mentioned before, almost um, in a way that sounded a little condescending, I hope it didn't, that you reminded me of my dad, even though we're not that much far apart in age, in that there's a personality type of man that is usually very reserved, doesn't share a whole lot about themselves. My dad was that way until he had his third drink and you were a good friend. And then Mm -hmm. he could talk about a lot of things. That I could do. He could talk about the war. He could talk about anything, but not until then. And you strike me as a man that has some similar tendencies, not necessarily the alcohol part, but a private man, and I appreciate very much, I want to say thank you for being willing to share, because the whole point behind Catholic Man of the Year, St. Joseph Radio started this years ago, decades ago, and the Diocese of Orange has joined in with it now for the last several years. It's not to find some universal hero who found the cure for cancer, though that would be wonderful. It's about finding and identifying people who are a good example within the parishes, which is why it starts with the, usually the parishes and the organizations. More parishes than organizations, like Knights of Columbus or something like that. And you came from a parish. Yours was a, a, right. a, a, a nomination. Just as a parish nominating a person who helps out a lot and helps around and, and what their story is like, that's what this is all about. And the reason why it's important is because most of us are average people, but yet sometimes we're called to do extraordinary things. And we have more power from Christ to do that than we think sometimes. And what happened 21 years ago certainly empowered you, despite the fact it was so horrible. Recently, we were just talking about this at the very end, you lost your wife to a sudden, well, sudden 300 days, but it, it, it struck without warning, valley fever that mm-hmm. then lasted for quite some time in at UCLA. And you've been now three years without your wife, but yet you are still doing Ministry. What's the last couple of years been like for you, John? Well, it's um, there's lonely moments, but again, reaching out and and being in, staying involved in the ministry keeps you occupied, and it's part of the healing process too. I do remember though when I was asked um, to accept that candidacy for the from the parish as the representative, I had been to a couple of the St. Joseph's dinners where they normally, in a non-COVID environment, yeah. have the bishop there. and uh, It's a great big a banquet of, hall. It's and... a big thing. And, and some of the stories on these on the men involved is like unbelievable stories. Some of them are. And I have, we talked about sharing, and I think this is important for for young families, especially with, with teenagers. I'm blessed with uh, three grandsons. Well, the two oldest ones, one's a senior in high school, and the other one's a freshman. And when COVID came up, and they weren't going to have the regular banquet, you could invite your wife and one person to this session. I said, well, I don't have a wife, but I'd like to invite my boys. Because that's why I told the deacon when I accepted it, I uh, it was under the condition that the boys could come to it and then hear. I wanted them to hear about the other men. They, I don't know what they right. think about me. These but are, I wanted them when to When you say your that. boys, these are... Grandsons. These are your grandsons. Okay. Right. So h- how old are they? Well, I met uh, them while they were there. They look like they were teenagers. Yeah, the oldest is gonna, uh, he'll be eighteen next month. Okay, and uh, the other boy's fifteen, the freshman. They were very polite and very. They they were very. I hate to say this, but they were very well behaved. <laughs> they were good. They were good. good boys. They were good boys. Yeah, we're real proud of them. And you were able to invite them, and the reason is because, and you have heard in the past, 
the stories that are being told and they're inspiring. Yeah. I and, also and, have heard those and I, stories. And, and at that age, you know, maybe a, a point or two will just get stuck in the back of their brain. We've had doctors who have served in Africa and have done different things. We've had people that have a lawyer who did a, uh, a whole a ministry of, of finding, uh, of, of building water drilling sites in Uganda. Wow. And they've done all these wonderful things. We also have had people who have empowered others who are grieving like you. And it is that kind of encounter with Christ that most of us are called to and have the ability to do when we're graced by God to do it. And your response was one of, all right, Lord, I'm hurting, but use what you can of me. But however, I've been broken and bruised, but if you want to use me, I'm here, broken and bruised or not. And God certainly has. Your story is not anywhere less than those other superstar stories. It's a different kind of superstar. Well, it's the body of Christ, and we all have our our talents. Sometimes yes. we don't know what they are yeah, until well, we get thrown into the into the box. You know, it's kind of funny. There's a, the thing about everyone wants to be the head, mm. but you know, if you stub your little toe, <laughs> your entire your entire leg, and then finally your back will hurt. You'll be down on your. <laughs> so it just depends on, on on what you do. Sometimes it's more significant than you know. Isn't that the truth? So the last couple of years, what's it been like? What has been the thing that that stands out right now for you? I think, I think in the beginning, I did these ministries because, in my brain, I felt it was the right thing to do. But I had. Um, a wonderful opportunity about 12 years ago to go through Crucial. And the, the, the Crucial weekend, it took it from the from the head to the heart, and it gave me a foundation. It gave me the reason why I was doing what I was doing. It was almost like I left there with the same ministries, but I had a building block underneath me. Describe Crucial for a moment. My father-in-law was uh, Frank Brown. He went through Crucial as mm-hmm. well. He since passed on, and uh, he told me, Ricky, you got to do Curcio. I haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who's thinking about it? Why would they want to do this? It's it's a one-time-in-your-life event, and it depends where you are in your faith. Yeah. You know, if you're just maybe non-faith, it may catapult you from one end to the other. If you're where you are in your faith and you're comfortable with it and you're at a good place, it will give you that background. It will give you some more foundation. And over time, you'll realize the benefits of it. Uh, some people come through and they, it's just a wow event, and others come through and says, "Well, that was you know, it was good. It was good." No one has ever that I've run into. See, that was a weekend. I, no, I could never get back. No, and it's not. It, it's a special weekend. It's not really a retreat, and yeah. uh, it's got some magic to it. But everybody's different. What you don't want to do is overbuild it because. Right. Everybody reacts different, but it's a wonderful thing. So your Curcio involvement 12 years ago mm-hmm. really helped crystallize some of how right. you see your involvement. So the last couple of years since you've lost your wife, what have you been doing? I've been, I've been just just steady, just doing some of the same ministries, helping out in the funeral ministry. i got a great ministry that I love doing because uh, it's so easy. We uh, I'm in charge of the lockup team. The lockup team. <laughs> so we we lock up the campus every night. Oh. About 12 years ago, I see priests are rushing back from a dinner. They got locked the place. I said, do you really need to be a priest to lock the church? You know? So uh, we rotate. We all have a night. Oh, and, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. So so you get to go ahead and make sure that the, the, minist- the, the ministry center is secured. Exactly. And everything has been safeguarded center. for the next day. And then we lock our church, but we do have the 24-hour adoration. So they go through the chapel with a keypad. Ah, okay. And so these are people that have been, they've, they've signed up and they, they mm-hmm. know what the routine is in order to go in and, and spend an hour. And not only do they sign up for one hour at, all through the night, 24 hours a day, um, then we have we have parishioners from other parishes come by all the time because they know. It's been about six years, I think, at least. So I think we're one of the only 24-hour adoration centers in, in Orange County. At the St. Martin de Pores. Right. Yorba Linda. All right. At the corner of Fairmont and Yorba Linda Boulevard. 
So you are very good at at, uh, at selling your 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 product, whether it's real estate, which is what I understand you used to do, mm-hmm. versus the real estate in your Belinda, where Jesus is present yeah. in the church. Wow, John, this has been a pleasure talking to you, despite the fact it's been so grief filled. It has been also enlivened by your response to that grief, and I can't help but think that there are people who are listening who have encountered similar bouts with loss. Is there anything that you can say that you've learned that perhaps might be worth thinking about? Well, it, for those who've gone through if it. If you have a loss and you're you're hurting, it's, it, it's going to heal. To reach out and help somebody else is, is, is going to be more beneficial for you than anything you can do for that other person. Wow. It's a healing process. So the idea is not so much from your perspective to try to heal yourself, but to reach out and help other people. And in the process of helping others, yep. you find healing. The, the Holy Spirit will take care of you. Wow. We, you know, we're supposed to be the hands and, hands and feet of our Lord, right? So put them to work and just, just wait to see how good you feel. John, I want to thank you very much for being with us. You've been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today has been John Ballas. John, before we leave, I would very much like to ask if you would be so kind as to lead all of us in a word of prayer. I think we all could use that. Will do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak out in your name and reach other people that we don't know that maybe we could give some slight input to, a little bit of advice, maybe a a nudge, maybe just a, a slap on the back, say, you know, you can do it. You can do it. Please reach out. Try to help. Try to help your fellow neighbor and just just see what benefit. Do it for your neighbor, but do it for yourself, too, in your name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the, the Father, Father and the Son, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Joseph, pray, for, pray us. for us. You are listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. John, thank you very much for being here. John Ballas is the Catholic Man of the Year for the Diocese of Orange and for St. Joseph Radio. And we have had the privilege of being able to talk to him about... All that's happened in his life, and for those of you who tuned in, you've heard what a tremendous story of a man who has been a lifelong Catholic in, I'm sorry to say it, but it's most common sense, where he was jarred from his regular Catholic life and catapulted into a life of ministry that has led him to be recognized as the Catholic Man of the Year, an honor that isn't so much uh, about any individual, but about empowering men so that they reach towards service that Christ would have them do in whatever capacity they find it. And John has certainly done that. If you would like to share this uh, with someone else, once this has been broadcast, you can go to OCCatholic.com, go to the radio tab, find Orange County Catholic Radio amongst the number of different programs we put on. That's our flagship show. And you will find there, usually at the very top, the podcast for what we were just saying. And it will have John Ballas' name on this particular one. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And on behalf of all of us at Orange County Catholic Radio, thank you for listening. And we will see you again next week.